Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Tour Catch-Up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Awesome Alcaraz secures his first title on grass. Kvitova seals Berlin win. And the ATP are in talks with Saudi Arabia for investment. Chris, today is the 25th of June and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. Carlos Alcaraz is your Queen's champion. He is back to world number one. We had Petra Kvitova come out of nowhere to win in Berlin. Sasha Bublik winning the biggest title of his career in Halle. And Yelena Ostapenko adding herself to the winner's list in Birmingham. So very, very exciting on that front. And then off the tennis court as well, we've had Annette Contevate announce her retirement and the ATP announcing they might be doing a deal with Saudi Arabia. So there is lots and lots to talk about, Chris, and all very exciting because we've got Wimbledon, we've got Wimbledon qualifying starting tomorrow. Yeah, and I believe that you're going to Wimbledon qualifying <laughs> on Monday. Then on Tuesday, we're going to the Boodles. So that's two very different experiences. <laughs> I'm not sure you should expect a three-course lunch at Wimbledon qualifying for your ticket. I, I don't I don't think the Boodles is going to be a shorts and t-shirt job, is it? No, I think you might have to wear slightly different <laughs> I think you're a bit nervous I am going to turn up in shorts and a t-shirt. Don't worry, I'll send you a text on the morning of <laughs> and you'll have to go back and change. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bring I'll make sure to bring like multiple options so I can Maybe just... I'll bring options for you too. <laughs> a backup jacket. Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah, no, it's very exciting. Yeah, we've got Wimbledon qualifying and the Boodles. Tennis Weekly are gonna be at both of them. So yeah, really, really looking forward to that. But lots of tennis to discuss this week. But before we get on to all of the results, Chris, uh we're gonna be talking about what has been our highlights of the week and I want to start with you what's been your what's been your favorite moment of the week so far well I would say my my favorite thing is that Casper Ruud is doing everything he can not to play on grass <laughs> I've never seen him more active doing all sorts of different things from playing golf which is probably the closest he's got to grass so far but also he's put his money where his mouth is Joel he did actually tweet out that he was shocked by the fact that people weren't screaming the weekend lyrics and the weekend's currently touring <laughs> at the moment he said mm. if he was there he'd be doing that and then lo and behold he was there and he was screaming at the top of his lungs so uh, I think he saw him in Stockholm so I think I'm not quite sure if um it's the perfect preparation it's all but part it- of the plan Chris yeah, I, I might be I mean last time he's got a lot of points to defend from his second round mm. but I think um it's definitely enjoyable to see how many excuses he can come up with not to get some practice on the grass before Wimbledon, that's for sure. Yeah, I'm really, really enjoying the, the, all the different things you can do that are sort of related to grass or outdoors activities that isn't, yeah, playing uh, playing on the tennis court because, yeah, he's done, he's 
he's been on a golf course. He's been to a concert. I think I saw a photo of him going shooting on um, a yacht. Definitely seen him on a, a yacht. Yet getting off dry land in the dirt. Literally any form of tennis court. It feels like he's still in relaxation mode, isn't it? After you know getting to the the French Open final. Well, that's fine because he's only going to come back for the US Open final. So <laughs> we're on that sort of a cycle here. This is the exactly. this is the the low point. Maybe this is his off season. The grass court. He does do things a bit differently. We know that. Well, I will say if he's having all this time off, maybe he has got maybe he has seen what uh, is my highlight this week. And it was the Challengers movie trailer. This is a film with Zen. Is it Zendaya? I'm not like the biggest Hollywood Hollywood person, but um, Zendaya is in it. And it's like a it's like a love triangle type rom-com that's coming to Hollywood. I think it's coming out later this year. Yeah, the trailer was quite interesting. Maybe not necessarily from the story perspective, from my point of view, but there was a, there's a little moment where she's on a poster serving and it, it kind of caused big arguments in the tennis community about the, the, the grip that she has serving because it, it looks like a pancake grip to me, Chris, which is not what you would expect for a tennis player at the top of their game. No, I also would say it's kind of giving me these awful memories of that film Wimbledon. Where How Paul... dare you say awful oh, memories? I'm okay. thinking, I think you mean cherished memories. I would say a jolly watch, but <laughs> in terms of the tennis technique, I do not think that Paul mm. Bettany looked like a, an athlete for that film. And I think for this one, it looks like maybe Zendaya was training physically for the role, but maybe hadn't started the tennis lessons because she is looking in a very odd direction. Maybe it's an overhead. We might give her the benefit of the doubt. Um, Mm. But it is a bit of an odd one. Um, But I have heard and I have seen a clip that she is good at tennis and that people have compared her forehand in the trailer to Medvedev. Oh, okay. An octopus player, it might be for Zendaya. (laughs) I think it's interesting. I do think as tennis fans, whenever I hear tennis film or tennis picture or tennis movie, I'm always going to judge it on the quality of the tennis scene. So... The, the Zendaya serve, if it's a pancake grip, there's definitely going to be room for improvement there. Um, and, and very quickly, there is another there is another tennis film that's come out. It's just like London Buses, two out in the same uh, week. Uh, we've got 15 Love, which is a provocative tennis drama coming to Amazon Prime in July. I think this is going to be like a, a mini series, not necessarily a film. But this to me, actually, I think is a little bit more interesting because it, it sort of plays on that kind of um that relationship between player and coach and whether coaches overstep the mark which you know we've seen in the past has become a big big kind of topic so i like uh, kind of uh, the fact that we're going to see a a tv series kind of play in the space because I, th- I do think it's going to be quite a uh, it's going to lead to i think quite big discussions potentially yeah, I think it's quite a hot topic. Um, and we've seen a lot of these sorts of um, pieces of news that have come out over the years and and things where it has obviously not been quite as um, uh, sensually provocative as this film mm. looks. This, it has been quite bad hearing a lot of stuff about Yelena Dokic, Sophia Kennan's had similar sort of uh, situations and things like that. So I think it will be very interesting to see that play out as a, a very quite um, substantial drama, really, as opposed to... You know the Wimbledon. I'm just. Go- I'm really going for Wimbledon now. But that story was <laughs> it's more a bit superficial. It is. Well, Venus Williams said that during Wimbledon, she's never taken a day off, and apparently Kirsten Dunst <laughs> went on an all-day date one day. So Venus Williams is doing it wrong, Chris. Yeah, she needs to take more time off. That's what everyone says. <laughs> um, but no, I think it'll be interesting to see because it looks like the story gets started after the tennis career, which I think is always quite interesting. 
Well, maybe we'll do a maybe we'll do a tennis weekly film film trip uh, to the cinema. Maybe get Kim involved. Um, yeah, we'll we'll have to wait and see. Uh, we'll see what the the reviews say as well. But um, yeah, interesting to see two uh, films coming out, two films and TV series coming out based in the world of tennis, which yeah, you don't often see every day. Um, moving on to the tennis at the moment on the tours, we're going to start with Queens. Chris Carlos Alcaraz is your Queens champion. He defeated. Alex de Menor in straight sets, 6-4, 6-4. That was his first ever trophy on grass. He returns to the world number one ranking. What did you make of Carlos Alcaraz's week? Because I think he, he was in a final set tiebreak in round one. For him to go from that moment to Queen's champion, that is a very impressive run, I think. Yeah, I mean, from um, losing that first set against Rundanek as well, and then yeah. really kind of... Um, I mean, just absolutely um, blasting his way through the draw. Um, some of the the hitting I've seen from a clip basis that I've seen quite a lot of the highlights, didn't see every match, but I can't believe how hard he's hitting the ball consistently. Um, it seems like he's really shifted well from surfaces, from being um, kind of a little bit more um, topspin based when he's playing on the, um, the clay courts to very much um, flattening out his shots and really, um, really hitting through, which I think is something that, we don't really know that much about kind of Carlos's game on grass. Obviously, he has um, had some good results um, previously, but this is obviously the standout one in terms of really putting it together across the week. And for me, I think the key thing in this one is that he is just a cut above when it comes to that champion's mentality because um, despite the fact he didn't win kind of as many points on his first serve, he did win two of two break points. And it just shows that Dimonar was actually out-serving Alcaraz on the day but it was just those points and taking those chances that really did it so you've got to feel a little bit for Di Minara in this situation because he didn't really put a foot wrong there were only six points in the entire match but for me the ultra aggressive Alcaraz he's almost going for more on those big points yeah I agree I think it was a case of taking your opportunities and Di Minara didn't do that I actually thought he you know he was knocking on the door of the Alcaraz serve uh, first of all, um, in that first set, and and if he had taken his chances, I probably would have said he would have gone on to win that first set. So um, yeah, I think he'll be a little bit disappointed. Where does this leave though, Carlos Alcaraz? The fact that we're going into Wimbledon, can we call him a contender given how relatively little grass court action um, you know he's had across across his career? I mean, he, he's spoken about that he's you know he's learning, and it's nice to see him adapting his play you know he's he, I think he actually called out Andy Murray to say I learned from the best in terms of moving across the court with just this this week uh, at Queens do you kind of put him as one of those contenders for the Wimbledon title behind Novak Djokovic or do you think it's still quite early given we've only really seen this once across a week uh, from him on grass well, you have to think that if you are able to win at Queen's, it's the perfect preparation, um, you know, for the fact that uh, he is going to be playing on the grass court to Wimbledon next week. And we've seen so many players have great results at Queen's and that's led to something um, uh, like a deep run. For example, Berrettini is a great example of that. Murray, he's always had quite good Queen's tournaments before he's gone on to win um, Wimbledon. And, I mean, even if he hadn't won the title this week, I mean, this year he's, um, I mean, after the title as well, he's 40 wins and four losses for the year. So, 
I mean, every time he goes on a tennis court against everyone, probably other than Novak Djokovic, you probably would, he would be your pick this season to win that match. So of course he's in the mix, but in terms of whether he can do it, I think a lot of it comes down to how he handles the pressure because that was the big question in Paris and, um, and how he responds to not handling the pressure that well in Paris, I think will be really interesting to see, but it's great to see he's got a title, put it behind him, but I don't think he's probably the best grass court player um, on the tour. What do you think? Yeah, I think there are better there are better grass court players that we'll you know, we'll get onto. But I think for me, the one thing that might let him down is like the lack maybe of, of three points he gets from the first serve. I think always you associate Alcaraz with, you know, his physicality from the back of the court and getting into extended rallies and normally coming out on top. But I just wonder whether he's going to really need to make sure his first serve is is firing to get him those cheap points, whether they're aces or, or unreturned serves that I think are just going to make those games a bit easier. So that would be my kind of watch out, I think, going into to Wimbledon. But I certainly think he's got the right mentality. He knows what it takes. And I think he knows, obviously, what the target is. You know, Novak Djokovic. It was interesting him talking about, you know, the fact that he's gone up to world number one. He said, I'm number one, but my chances at Wimbledon don't change because of that. Novak is coming. So what's your, t- what's your take on that? Do you think Novak Djokovic should be nervous a little bit more from what we've seen of Alcaraz this week or do you still think that Djokovic is still kind of the the firm favorite out in front I mean he's just become the on paper goat like the undisputed goat in that sense so I think it'd be very hard for him to be nervous right now I think (laughs) it's more likely as Andy Murray said the other week when you spoke to him that hopefully he's taken his eye off the ball um, ahead of Wimbledon but no I, I do just think that right now you look at who's currently holding the slams and the player with the most slams uh, is Novak Djokovic. We've seen this a lot on the women's tour where Serena Williams was ranked at number two. Tanara Safina was number one. Safina was slamness. Serena, I think she'd picked up two or three at that point, but wasn't playing as regularly on the tour. So I don't think it really matters. What matters is that you have got a good seeding. Um, it's a lot harder to come through at Wimbledon um, with a lower seeding. And so being in the top two seeds, you're going to have a good draw. Um, and so I think... You can't really read into it, but when it comes to the the most recent match they played, I think you have to always give Djokovic the upper hand, becoming a favourite. But I would throw another name in the mix. He threw himself in the mix this week, Seb Calder. (laughs) I was going to come on to this. I mean, what what did you make of that? I was I was quite surprised with how he announced it. What was what what was it for you? Were were you kind of thought, oh, this is really confident? Or did you actually think actually this is this is borderline arrogance? What he's saying because Seb Calder did come out and say. You know, the way I'm playing, I'm a great mover on, on the grass. I know I, I know this surface. I really like playing on this surface. And he, yeah, he just effectively announced himself as one of the favourites for, for Wimbledon. Do you think that was a sign of his confidence or do you think actually that tipped over into more of his arrogance? Well, I think he was a bit surprised as well when it comes to... Um... The fact that he did kind of give such a strong opinion, he has sort of backtracked now and said he was asked the question and he kind of just said what he was thinking, you know, you, take you want to make context. Sure, but you want to make sure that you back yourself. And I think it is that sort of quite a fine line when you think about it from being overly confident. But if you don't think mm. you have a chance of winning it, then, um, you know, why are you standing there to compete? And yeah, I think I you have to believe that. So 
um, I think it's quite quite funny that everyone's like Seb Corder thinks he's the favourite <laughs> because it was such a it was so odd because he's such a chilled and laid he's back so guy. Nice, yeah, he's yeah. such a classy guy. Uh, you know, I think he plays very elegantly on the on the you know on on the court. So yeah, when I heard these comments, I was a little bit like, it's not like him to I feel like go and upset the apple cart. Yeah, especially because like his body's let him down so much mm. before, and I think now he's really drawing attention to the fact that he is physically much stronger than he has been. But his year-to-date record is nine to five um, for the year, and he's kind of uh, obviously had that great start to the year, but he's been out so much. So it was quite surprising to me. I thought maybe he'd be <laughs> downplaying his chances, and then you know he might put another sort of straight set mm. to victory or against Dan Evans or you know another seed or something like that, like he's done before. Um, He's definitely got grass court pedigree, but I was surprised by how kind of um, straightforward that result was for Alcaraz. And it does kind of beg the question, you know, he was serving really well in that one. But I think for Alcaraz, he's such a good returner on grass is something that I think is really quite impressive because Seb Calder, six foot five, fantastic serve, hit nine aces, still one less, uh, less points on serve than Alcaraz did in that match. So... I think it is very much more of a returning game on grass than it has been as they're slowing down. So maybe in 10 years time, he might be the favourite for Wimbledon <laughs> if the courts keep getting slower, Joel. Yeah, and I, I do wonder as well with, with Corder, particularly on the backhand wing, I think Alcaraz showed if there's one way you're going to beat Corder, it's it's really attack the, the backhand side. And he was able to break those those defences in that semi-final quite, quite easily. I thought that match was actually going to be a bit tighter than it was. But um, yeah, Alcaraz coming through that and then getting his first grass court title. Um, another player who has won a grass court title, their biggest title of their career to date, Alexander Bublik in Halle in, in Germany, defeated Andre Rublev in three sets, six three, three six, six three. I mean, Chris, I was just impressed with with Bublik and his run this week. I don't think he faced a player below the ranking of twenty two. He f- defeated Chorich, Struff, Sinner, Zverev, and then Rublev in the final. That's a really impressive run. That is so impressive, and I think he was surprised as well. He said he had no idea that when he was walking through the halls and looking at the people who'd won the title that he would be in with a shot this week. Um, And I I really like this as as a result because you do just feel he has so much ability and so much sort of um, talent that it's such a shame he hasn't always had the discipline and the focus because I think he does know that on his day he can beat, you know, any of these players, like a sinner, for example, um, I know he's beaten uh, Zverev before um, and Rublev he has actually quite a bad record against. So I think it is very impressive that he was able to do this because his year has been, it's not been good. And he did talk about the fact he struggled. I mean, he's he's at 8-19, um, 8 wins, 19 losses, which is for a player of, of ranked 48 in the world at the moment, that really is not good. So I think, again, he won't be seeded at Wimbledon. So... I think he might win the title, Joel. I don't know what you think of the most dangerous floater. <laughs> Ooh, Murray yeah, won't I, be seated either, though. But yeah, uh, I would say I think I might it, give it, it to Bublik. It is is quite tricky because I think he is a player where, as you said, with with Haller, I I've, I hope he comes out of this realizing if I can put my mind to it, I can I can I can beat these players. Um, and he's always you know been the the character on the court. I think we always see those those videos of him on on social media and he's almost in that entertainer category like a Gael Monfils and we don't really necessarily treat him that seriously but 
I certainly think with this Haller result that players players should be treating him more seriously. And I get, I think it's it's hard when you're in the moment playing him across the court. It's almost sometimes I almost feel like he's a distract. He could be a distraction. You've got to stay really really focused. But yeah, I think if he has he's got that belief now maybe from Haller that yeah who knows when it comes to Wimbledon whoever's on the other side of the net given the run he had in Haller he's could be like yeah I could spring a surprise yeah and why not I mean if you've been able to play against kind of players who are seeded in it and very dangerous unseeded pro uh, players like Struff like I'd say that was probably one of the hardest like round one draws you could have on grass especially given kind of how the way that um uh, Strift does play so I think it's showed that he's not just beating kind of players that you wouldn't expect him to beat he's also beating some players of the players that he's cut yeah. yeah exactly and, and so I think um, a, a good draw and I can see him making the second week of Wimbledon and I don't think anyone would want to play him first round because you don't know which player you're going to get but I do think this year it seems like after this let's hope he's dialed in well, two players who definitely won't want him in round one are Daniel Medvedev and Stefanos Sissipas. Sissipas has already taken a wild card into Mallorca in the the penultimate week before Wimbledon. Daniel Medvedev lost to Roberto Bautista Agut as well in the quarterfinals. So those players are not doing particularly well, which is surprising to me. Did you kind of pick up on anything from, from Medvedev or, or Sissipas in terms of what's not clicking for them at the moment going into... Again, a, a surface, particularly I think more for Medvedev maybe than Sissipas, that they should be doing a bit better on. Yeah, I think um, for me, I think the Sissipas results, like he didn't play particularly well in either of those matches. Um, and so I think that one is definitely a bit more concerning, but he never has had sort of the pedigree um, at Wimbledon on grass so far. I think Medvedev, on the other hand, has what could be a great game for grass. Um, and against kind of Batista Agu, I think it was just the fact that the consistency of the hitting was kind of what outdid him in that. I think he played relatively um, fine. I mean, he's got two matches under his belt. Uh, he has won in Mallorca before. So I think it's a case that maybe he should have probably got some practice in maybe the week before um, and then not had to play the week before Wimbledon. But at the same time, there's still time, still time to regain the form. But um I was a bit surprised because I did think that he was a bit of a... I thought he was going to get his act together this week. Yeah, I did as well. I did. It didn't really... Yeah, it didn't really come off, did it? I do wonder on on grass where the ball typically stays a bit lower and whether that makes it a little bit more difficult for Medvedev to be the octopus from the baseline. Always be the behind baseline. it, yeah. Yeah, like, you know, Does he likes him if he's standing that far back. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know whether that is a, an issue and like an issue for him because we know how, you know, great he is. He can be from, from the back of the court, but it might just be that getting used to where the that contact point is that is real kind of issue for him. So, um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, Sissipas, yeah, in Mallorca has taken a wild card there. So I'll be curious to see how he gets on. Berlin, we're moving on to the women now. Berlin, Petra Kvitova uh, was your champion there, came through against Donna Vekic, straight sets in the final. Um, Petra Kvitova, she's a player who, well, I think, is it fair to say she kind of peaks at certain events in the year? You know, she had that great win um, in the Miami Open earlier this year. And all of a sudden, oh, surprise, surprise, she's announced herself for the grass court season. Yeah, she doesn't play very often. And it's either sort of a first round or it's a final or a win. You know, she's had some really great results. I think she had um, 
a fantastic one in Cincinnati last year. That kind of came out of nowhere. Winning Miami also came out of nowhere a little bit in terms of um, not the fact that she doesn't have the level to win it. We all know she does, but I think it's just she's, you just don't know if it's that week. Um, and especially kind of the the match practice she's had recently. I mean, I don't think she actually won a match across the clay season. And then she comes into to Berlin and um, doesn't drop a set to win the title. Um, and she played against some really good servers, some really good players. I mean, taking Alexand- out... Alexandrova on, on an eight-match win streak. Exactly. Pliskova, I mean, a former Wimbledon finalist, as well as Garcia, who has all the game for grass as well. And Donna Vekic, I think, is actually probably in my top 10 grass court players. Mm-hmm. Um, she's got some real pedigree there as well. And so I think for me, it's just a case where she knows she won't play well every week, but she knows that twice a year or maybe three <laughs> times a year, she's going to play unbelievable tennis. And you just have to hope they come at the right time. But they haven't come at Wimbledon recently, no, I think. I, well, I was going to ask you about that. Why Why do you think that is? Because I could tell you, you know, Kvitova, she's won Berlin. We can now think of her as a, as a favourite for... Uh, for Wimbledon, like, you know, we're talking maybe a little bit about Alcaraz, but the reality is for, for Petra Kvitova at Wimbledon, she she won it in 2014, but since then, her best result is is round four. So why why do you think that is? Because, as you said, she's such a great competitor and a champion, and you'd think, you know, given those past glories at, at Wimbledon, she should be doing better than a, a round four appearance in the, well, in the last nine years. Yeah, and I think she's always um, said it feels like coming home for her. Um, And I think what's also kind of a bit strange about that is that, you know, she had that run where she made at least the quarterfinals from 2010 all the way to 2014. Um, So that does make it kind of all the bit more strange because she hasn't necessarily always lost to kind of fantastic players um, along the way. I think she did have a, a loss to Jankovic, which was particularly surprising because Jankovic does not like playing on the grass at all. I remember watching that and I think... Um, it has to it has to be to do with whether she's feeling it or not. But I mean, you would have definitely said in the whole time since that that would have been um, the slam that she would have reached the final in or the semi final. And actually, it's been the Australian and the French um, that she's reached those rounds since then. I guess it just has to do with the fact that, and she's won titles on grass in the last couple of years. They just haven't been that peak, as we say, during the Wimbledon two weeks. Um, and if she hasn't, we got don't know when those, those rounds, peaks are coming, do we? No, we don't. And if you don't get through those sort of rounds, then you end up in a situation where it doesn't give yourself a chance to play in those later stages. And for her, with her ranking now higher, she will have a better seeding. She'll be seeded in the mm. uh, 8 through 16, I believe, um, which will mean that she won't be seeded for a quarterfinal, but she will be seeded for a fourth round. So maybe that will help her dodge some of the some of the season higher ranked players before then. Um, but I mean, her game on grass is unbelievable. So I hope she does have a good run. And just a word on Donna Vekic, that win against Elena Rabakina in round two. Um, you know, Rabakina is obviously the, the reigning Wimbledon ladies champion. Vekic came through that in three sets. She's got to be pretty high on confidence going into Wimbledon as well. Yeah, and especially because both um, Kvitova and Vekic had to win two matches in one day um, because of the, the rain that was in Berlin. Um, but in that match, I mean, for Rabakina... I mean, she served 15 aces in that match, um, but it's always the case of the first service percentage. It was not bad at 64%, but she won 84% of first serve points and just 42 on second uh, second serve. So that's a bit worrying when there's such a sort of a disparity between the two, because 
I do think that you have to land the first, but at the same time, you've got to be able to back it up. And she, she actually didn't take a single break point, didn't win uh, a break point in that match. So I think for her, you know that you're in a bit of trouble because she's not a serve bot. She's got a fantastic game. So I think for her in Eastbourne, I think it's really important for her to get mm. some more grass court wins under her belt because um, maybe she's not returning as well as she might need to on the grass. Um, but for you, how big, how, sorry, how big a deal do you think... Um, this is for her, you know, she is tipped to be the favourite for Wimbledon. And is this the sort of form that you think she needs to to get the win? Well, it was interesting, I think, hearing from her in Eastbourne, because I was reading she's not, she was pretty kind of clear that she's not kind of fully recovered from that virus that took her out of the French Open. And maybe she'll be going into Wimbledon not feeling 100% physically fit. Um, so I think getting match wins under a belt will, you know, help build that confidence and, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. I think, you know, that match against Vekic, I just think she came out against someone who was going to be there and ready to attack the serve and executed their, their game plan to a point that it got them the victory. So Rabakina in Eastbourne, I think it's all a case of just getting, trying to get more wins because yeah, she would have liked to, I think, gone a little bit more deeper in, um, in Berlin. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, someone else who's still not managed to go that much deeper in tournaments. I mean, I think this was um, another semi-final loss for Maria Sakara. Oh, I know that we do know. we do labour the point now, but... I almost don't does... want to bring it up because I feel like we'll just get told off for just kind of bringing up a statistic that we know, like everyone knows it, stop talking about it. Yeah, but I do just think how much does that kind of really make you think that you've got a great shot like if you managed to, to for Vekic obviously not seeded to win that match um, she played it as though she was the higher ranked player in that sense and as though she really had something to win rather than something to lose so um, I think it's going to be interesting because I think that's part of the Wimbledon draw where Marissa Kari first round of a slam I mean for Mukova it worked wonders I think that could be a really interesting section of the draw yeah, we'll have to wait and see what draw Maria Sakri gets. I hope she can get over her semi-final hoodoo at some point though. I think she's 0-6 in semi-finals this season. So um, yeah, one of those statistics you definitely do not want. Moving on to Birmingham, Chris, the final tournament, uh, the WTA 250 uh, this week. Yelena Ostapenko winning that 7-6, 6-4 against Barbora Krachikova. I actually thought on paper this was the tastiest final going into going into Sunday. Um, probably what was the most surprising was it was a straight sets victory for Ostapenko. She had been three sets all the way through to the final, including against uh, Venus Williams. I think she was 6-4 four love down as well against uh, Fresh in the, in the quarterfinals. What did you make of Ostapenko's run and this win against Krachikova, who, in comparison, had a lot more of a, a an easier an easier progress? Yeah, I think um, with Ostapenko, I mean, you go from high highs to low lows. And I think what's kind <laughs> of, I'm not saying it's a low low at all, because I think Venus played particularly well, but you wouldn't necessarily think if Venus took a set of you that you would then be winning a straight sets match against Krachikova. You know, I think that's a bit of a surprise in that sense. But I think what's been great is that where she has either been kind of losing in straight sets um, and winning in straight sets, that she had a couple of those three set matches where, you know, against Potapova, for example, um, against Fretch as well, against Venus. She's really fought her way through this week. Um, and I think all of that has given her quite a lot of self-belief that whatever the scoreline um, really stick to your guns and you can turn it around because that tie break, I watched the whole of it live and um, unbelievable hitting from both players. 
Um, and I think that was what was so impressive was that she was up in that tie break. Kujikova pegged her back and then she managed to seal it after having to save a set point the other way. So um, I think this it could be Ostapenko 2.0, the more level-headed Ostapenko. Ooh. Well, I was um, a bit confused because, uh, yeah, she had some very positive comments for, for Venus Williams and just it was... Hugging at the net. Yeah, I think I was, it's all coming together. I was together. All confused yeah. because I remember, I can't remember when it was, but... I think it was last season there was a, a tournament she played in the UK and in her interview she just said oh, I won because I'm better than my opponent and <laughs> I was, I, she was talking about Rebecca Marina I remember that she said um when she was down she said well my level my level is way higher than her level mm. and I, I thought well I mean you're not wrong but still to say it out <laughs> you don't loud, have to say that it's not going to adhere you is it to the risk, isn't it no. you know <laughs> but, but yeah, she hasn't um, said she's the favorite for Wimbledon <laughs> she hasn't gone that far I mean I guess the, the one thing on on Ostapenko the fact that she has played all these three set matches it's hard to consider her like regardless of winning a title it's hard to consider her a contender I think for Wimbledon because you always feel like you're gonna get a chance do you think that's do you think that's fair to say? I mean, based on my predictions for the last slam <laughs> for both collector set and in the, the predictions for quarter by quarter, I will be going nowhere near Ostapenko mm, for Wimbledon because she's a nightmare to predict, isn't she? Yeah, I think maybe I will in um in one of the two competitions, but I do just think it's so it's so much of it depends. And I think Wimbledon again is a tournament where people are so inspired. And so I think when you see people, and this also rings true for Kvitova and her results, people play their best tennis of their lives when they get to play at Wimbledon. And it is a leveller. You know, I think it is a bit different playing on the grass. And um, if, if you are missing, you tend to miss pretty big. If your feet aren't moving well enough, it's so footwork dependent. So um, let's see, I'm not going to be predicting a deep run for mm. her just yet though. Yeah, I do. I do wonder, you know, what she's going to do. I don't think anyone really knows. And just a word on Barbora Krachikova as well. I know she's, you know, she's known for the French Open and her kind of doubles Grand Slam wins, but her game is, I feel, very much tailor made for for a grass court. Flat hitting from the baseline, big serve, knows how to volley at the net. But yet, she's only really played a handful of matches on 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 the grass. So. I feel like there's an opportunity there to to kind of announce herself or maybe be a little bit of a surprise package when it comes to Wimbledon and, and just kind of show that actually, yeah, I, I could also have a deep run here. Yeah, she's actually um, never lost before the third round, um, but she just hasn't really been playing, you know, the elite level no. of tennis for that long. I think she's going to burst onto the scene in around kind of 2020, but she is kind of, uh, I think she's 27 years old or something like that. So... Um, some players like Coco Goff, I mean, when you play your first Wimbledon match, when you're, you know, in the middle of your teens, um, what was Coco, was she 14 or 15 or something mm. like that when she made her debut? And yeah. she'd have played many more grass court matches than Krajikova has. But as you say, she's got a good game for it. It really is an all, um, all court game and she's able to move into the net so nicely with great transition games. So um, again, I think what we're kind of landing on here is that the, the women's one, um, when it comes to the women's Wimbledon draw, I mean, it is so open. I I think making a prediction um, based on the form. I mean, Iga plays this week. We haven't seen her play yet. Um, it's going to be a tough one, Joel. I'm not sure we're going to 
do yourselves too proud <laughs> yeah i'm already nervous about making predictions particularly on the on the women's side but um yeah we're going to take a quick break now but join us in the second half where we'll be discussing former world number two annette contivate's retirement announcement talk of saudi arabia's move into tennis with the atp and a look ahead to the final week of grass court events before wimbledon including eastbourne mallorca and bad homburg so don't go anywhere Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves. Feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to Par for the Courts, Chris. Par for the Courts is back. I actually, before we actually get into it, I actually need to give a little bit of an apology and a correction for last week's Par for the Courts, because I had a few listeners get in touch and say, hang on, where was Adrian Manorino on that list of over 30s uh, in the top 50? Gasquet as well, exactly. I should have clarified, I think I was going off... ATP live rankings race from this year in terms of points as opposed to the ATP ranking but people are correct if I was going on the ATP ranking across like the whole you know of the last year Manorino and Gasquet would have been in the top 50 so so have you apologized to Kim is the big question Joel <laughs> I've not heard that or I, seen I'm that not yet. gonna lie I've I've sort of kind of skirted the issue I mean if she's listening she's probably gonna message me straight away and ask for an apology so uh Kim apologies um you were correct I was wrong as usual I hope we can just put it under let's let's just sweep it away and uh, let's move been on restored hasn't it Joel I feel a lot better <laughs> knowing that Kim didn't muck up last yes. week well I hopefully I'm not going to muck up this week and hopefully maybe I can succeed at par for the courts but uh, I believe you I believe you have one you have one for me indeed and I've actually learnt from the lesson of last week Joel and I Ooh. I've got some caveats for where I've taken this oh okay caveats. Um, just to Ooh, make sure that I, I'm not print. caught out but Today, we will be looking at the traditional um, par for par for the courts. Um, And so I will be asking you um, about active players who've played a minimum of 50 matches um, on grass. This is ATP players. Who has the best winning percentage? I'm looking for the top 10 players. And the figures are correct as of the 16th of June, 2023. <laughs> Just for clarification. Oh, I, love that. I love that specificity. Um, okay. So I've got a set par for you, haven't I? So yes. I think oh, I want to go quite high with this. I feel like you're, I'm going to go seven. Oh, that is. <laughs> 
That is punchy. That is punchy. That but is I, very I feel punchy. like I'm, I'm looking at the list and I'm like, yeah, I probably, you know, um, I could. I know, I'll do a set. Uh, I believe in you, Joel. Let's go seven. Okay. Okay. So top ten male percentage. Okay. Percentage Last, wise for grass. Yeah. So, and that's among active players. It is among active players. Well, let's start with an obvious one. Let's start Andy Murray. That's a correct answer. Comes in at number two. Novak Djokovic. That is the number one answer. I think yeah. you've done yourself proud there by going for Murray first. I'm going to say Rafael Nadal. You've gone for the big three and they are number... Well, well, I shouldn't say that, sorry. The big three of active players when it comes to grass because <laughs> Rafael Nadal comes in at third with a 79% record. Okay. Four more to get. Four more. Okay, I'm going to go for some big servers now. I feel like that is a very safe territory. And when I'm thinking big servers, I've, there's obviously a name that sticks out. So I'm going to say John Isner. That's a correct answer. Ooh. John Isner <laughs> comes in at number eight with a 66% Ooh. record. So you've scored four. Okay. You're doing very well. There are three to get. Three to get. I'm going to say, I don't know if this is right. I'm going to say Grigor Dimitrov. Grigor Dimitrov. <clears throat> it's an incorrect answer, oh, Joel. Oh, no. It's an incorrect answer. <laughs> oh, no. I thought you were going to stick with the big servers there because I could, <sighs> well, do you want to have another couple of guesses? So big servers, um, Hubert Hercash wouldn't have been in there. He's, he's not had 50 matches, I don't think. Um, former oh, finalist. Uh, former final. Oh, Nick Nick Kyrgios. Nick Kyrgios is in number seven. Uh, yes. There's another former finalist on the list. Um, trying to think. Uh, in Milos Raonic. That's not a bad guess. Maybe they're not a former finalist and I've lost the pod a bit, but okay. Chilich, I believe, yes, is also yes. a former finalist. Okay, yeah. Um, and then completing the list, we have um, our, one of our favourites to mention the pod, Richard Gasquet, who's just received an apology. Oh, wow. Um, I think that's due to longevity, well, not longevity, because you, it's a bit winning percentage. Mm. So that's very that's well very done. That's very decent. That's very it's decent. very good. And then yeah. we also have at number five, Roberto Batista Agu. Oh. So when you think about that and that loss to Medvedev, I mean, he's playing a grass court player of real pedigree. Mm. And then finishing the list at number nine and 10, we have Medvedev and then we have Feliciano Lopez. Uh, I was going to say Feliciano Lopez, but I, I was just sort of clouded by all his like recent losses, basically. And I was like, there's no all way the he court. could be on There's that. been a lot of off the yeah. court losses, that's for sure. But <laughs> he's won Queens many times, hasn't he? Yes, and, um, that is true. He'll be hanging up his racket, <sighs> I believe. Okay. Is it this week in Mallorca he's hanging up his racket? Yeah, I think you're right. But So maybe he'll add another couple to that to get that That does not console up. me, though. It does not console me in this no, moment. But, no, um, no. Yeah, I'm a bit annoyed by that. I've definitely left some. I definitely left some on the table. I don't know why I was so confident with Grigor Dimitrov, but um... I mean his win percentage at the moment. I'm not sure is particularly high, but <laughs> no, he has made I a know. semi before, hasn't he? Well, listeners, let us know. Did you do better than me? Were you able to get par did, for the courts did we, this week? Did we do it right? 
Did, did we, we do it right? right? I hope so. I just hope we don't get any more p- listeners kind of message me being like, you did it wrong. You did it wrong. But um, Joel, no. or m- maybe Joel actually did win, though. You might want them to message. <laughs> no, but uh, this is I hope you enjoyed that edition of Par for the Courts. Moving on to the Tennis Weekly mailbag. We had Brenda get in touch with us on email and her question to us was... Patrick Muratoglu, in one of the new episodes of Breakpoint, said that beating Djokovic at Wimbledon is probably the highest mountain to climb for any tennis player. Do you agree with this? Are there any mountains that are higher to climb in tennis? What a great question. What a what a relevant question as well with, with Breakpoint, uh, the new batch of episodes just coming out. Chris, I'm going to go to you first. What what are your, what's your take on that? Highest mountain, peaks? Is it Novak Djokovic at Wimbledon or, or have you got your thoughts elsewhere? Well, I mean, of active challenges in tennis, mm. um, I think that's right up there. I think Nadal at the French Open, we've also got to think about that. Um, but non-active players, I mean, Roger at Wimbledon, he's obviously still got the highest number of titles at Wimbledon. Do you um, think that's a higher peak than Djokovic at Wimbledon? Oh, I think if, yeah, in the early days, 100%, um, I think it's, it really is in terms of the difference between him and some of the players and how ordinary mm. he made yeah. players look at certain times. Um, and then I guess if the only other time I think it would be, would be kind of if you were playing Steffi Graf in 1988 or 1993 when she did the Grand Slam, because I think then it's any Grand Slam, that would be a tougher <laughs> challenge because she was not mm. losing then. So no. That would be what I would go for. Or maybe, maybe there's uh, Tatiana Maria. Um, <laughs> where, where, where was she winning? In Bogota? Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. I think that might be yeah. the, the other peak. I was well. My my personal peak was going to be Andy Murray on the Challenger circuit. <laughs> That's a uh, good one. <laughs> um, but arguably, I would ev- I would say maybe Novak Djokovic on Rod Laver Arena at the Australian Open for me, arguably, is a higher peak than him on, on centre court at Wimbledon. I agree with that. Um, so those, those would be my uh, kind of two cents thrown in. But um, yeah, really, really interesting question there, Brenda. Thanks for, for sharing that. Listeners, let us know, what are your kind of peaks? What are your mountain peaks in tennis? Active or non-active? We're really interested to hear it. But um, yeah, Brenda, thanks for that question. And any listeners, if you've got any questions for the mailbag, make sure to get in touch with us and just let us know. And we'll, we can, we can talk about them as uh, <laughs> we can talk about them at, at HQ um, and, and get it out there. But um, for now, we're going to move on to a couple of talking points, Chris, from this week. And we've got to start with the breaking news that happened last night. Um, Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia are looking to get involved in tennis. There have been discussions with the ATP, the Public Investment Fund, which is this, pretty much this bottomless pit of money. It feels like it's gone from one sport to the next. It went to golf. It went to football. It felt like it was just inevitably going to go to tennis um, at some point. When you heard about this news, how, how did it make you feel? Well, I, I, I think I'm probably quite similar to most people I think it's kind of inevitable in terms of the direction of where the, the money is when it comes to sport I think we've seen it happen um, and we've also seen kind of on the tennis tour that there are more and more exhibitions that are happening there there's more and more players that are being attracted to play those exhibitions because of how much money is available there um, and I think we've seen from some of the moves around kind of 
um, China and Asian tournaments as well, that there is sort of the shift um, in terms of where the natural sort of um, center of gravity is when it comes to um, where the money is for both tours. So I think it, it is inevitable. I do think that it is problematic um, in lots of ways. I think it doesn't necessarily um, send a, a great message um, and I think all of the sort of the comments that have been made previously about kind of the World Cup or players that have competed there, um, that it is sort of that question is, is it you're doing your bit for your country is quite different to doing your bit for your bank account um, and for your ranking. So I think some players, there will be questions around it in terms of whether they would want to participate, especially if this does uh, see a move for more towards kind of the WTA tour as well, um, if everything does kind of shift in that direction. But for me, I think it is breaking news but it not a surprise would be what i what i would mm. say joel what about you yeah and i thought it was interesting to hear um gaudenzi who's the, the atp tour chief say that he almost kind of gave a warning to investors to say that they must stick to respecting the history of the sport and the product working with the current stakeholder rather than against and i think about golf particularly how in my view like they've just they just kind of muscled their way in and there was a real kind of friction and a collision between what Saudi Arabia were doing with you know like live golf and you know the 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 rest of golf and it was almost kind of like you had to kind of pick your side so i get that it's it felt like it was inevitable but i think based on what we've seen already that it, that if this does happen and it again it feels like it will do so and it will manifest at some point that it's done in the right way and hopefully it's more of collaboration and cooperation and not just creating like a, a rebel tour or you know something that is really going to create conflict with you know within the whole kind of tennis community because i think that's the that's the worry having seen it played out in in the circles of golf yeah, absolutely. I think um, it it is a concern. I think one of the things that does make it slightly concerning is when the investment looks like it's going beyond sort of the next gen finals, which was kind of something that I think was talked about mm. previously, where you can see that being kind of like the perfect sort of matchup yeah. for it in terms of experimental format. You can make it into a very sort of um, uh, different sort of event. Yeah, there's, seen there's that. license to experiment with that event. That's what it was set up for. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. it's, it's got to pick your moments, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that is very much um, the case with that event. So um, maybe it will be interesting to see if that is the first event that happens, because there is obviously talks mm. about that, um, how that goes and how it develops. But I do hope that um, it isn't kind of one of those things where it just sort of snowballs into kind of changing the sport sort of beyond recognition. And are you surprised that they've kind of gone to the ATP? I mean, we don't know. They might be having conversations with the WTA as well but you know my impression is the WTA tour seems even more ripe for kind of big investment opportunities you know we've we've talked we've spoken about you know with with combined events and we see like the the inequality in in prize money for example of 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 the tours i would almost argue to say the WTA was actually probably in a better position for someone like a you know, a big investment to come in. We we saw that with the, the uh, you know, the Holodic investment come in. But are you surprised it's come through the ATP and maybe not necessarily from the the, you know, the WTA side? Or, or do you think that's something that maybe they'll look at in the future? Well, I mean, I do think that it's quite a different um, sponsor in many ways when it comes to the two you've described. Like Hologic is obviously kind of much more around sort of breakthrough diagnostic and sort of medical 
solutions for women's health. So there could also be some uh, issues there in terms of the partnerships and whether they do think that um, that the investment is a positive thing for for women and women in that area. It does kind of lend itself to a wider um, debate. And I do think that probably um, the WTA would rather follow suit than lead this because I think they would get much more criticism um, from this. Yeah. And it would kind of draw um, a lot more attention from doing this. So maybe if the ATP paved the way, I wouldn't be surprised to see if somewhere probably a little, quite a bit further down the line, the WTA does um, start to kind of have these conversations. But I think for now, I think China is where the WTA money will be coming from. Definitely. It's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. It feels like we're very in very embryonic times, the, the beginning of something that we all felt was going to happen and people are going to have different opinions on it. It, it. I think it leaves me feeling a little bit nervous and uneasy having seen what's played out in, in other sports. So we're just going to have to you know, see how it comes. And as, as you said, it feels like the first manifestation of it it looks like it might be the next gen finals in in Jeddah which is a rumor for now nothing confirmed but that could be the first thing that happens so yeah we'll have to wait and see I mean another talking point from this week was Annette Contivate announcing her retirement from tennis due to a debilitating back injury Um, she's already said her Wimbledon will be her last uh, tournament Chris, again, she, I mean, she's 27 years old. No one likes to see this. What did you make of this announcement when it broke last week? I think she had talked about her injury before. So for me, the way she described it was definitely a career-ending injury um, because managing it would be so difficult. So um, I wasn't surprised to see it, but obviously it is a big shame because I think um, the peak of her career kind of happened towards the end of 2021 into 2022. Obviously, she had that unbelievable run of victories with Dmitry Terzanov that went from August winning kind of Cleveland, then winning in Ostrava, winning in the Kremlin, winning the Transylvanian Open and, and making it as the first Estonian ever to qualify for WTA the end of season finals. finals. Yeah. So that's a super high achievement. And, you know, she did play, obviously, as the number two seed at Flushing Meadows last year when Serena Williams took her out. So up until kind of September last year, she's been very high in the ranking. So it is a shame that her the end of her career is so close to where her career peaked. But at the same time, I do think when it comes to players like this, that it's actually a very positive decision to step away from the sport because I think a lot of people can't do that when they maybe should with the injury. And I'm not going to name names or go into anything there, but I think that having a life outside the court, and obviously she's had a very successful life on the court, um, I think there's something to be said where that can be a really positive thing for someone and having that last farewell at Wimbledon I think would be a really nice way to go out because obviously this injury is not something that, that can be managed so sad but I'm very pleased that um, she won't be continuing to kind of struggle on with this and for it to degenerate any further. Yeah it's going to be I think a very emotional moment when she steps onto the court um, hopefully at Wimbledon. A, hopefully a good court right Joel? Yeah must I know. get her court number one minimum. Yeah absolutely let's get her on a, on a show court. Um Certainly, because, yeah, I think she is a player that is, I mean, I, whenever I see her in, in, in interviews um, on, on TV or, or watching kind of clips on, on YouTube, she just seems so nice and very well liked. I just think it's a great shame that, as you said, that I feel like we would only just beginning to see the best of what she could offer with that that crazy, uh, you know, that crazy run on, on indoor hard courts and, and getting to the WTA finals. To think that was only in 2021. Um, and we're in 2023 now. It just feels like, ah, oh, I wanted to see, you know, where could this have gone? 
Um, so it's really frustrating, I think, to hear that of these injuries. But as you said, like having your health is is the priority, and you you do wonder. Yes, tennis. You know, you can love tennis and take over your life, but you've got to look beyond that. And um, it's positive, I think, that that Contivate has almost done this to kind of preserve herself, I guess, for, you know, for the future and, and the whole of life and not just looking at her tennis career. Yeah. And if you look at her results, I think it definitely is a case where I think number two in the world I mean, was definitely a peak for her. I think pushing beyond that, given the fact that she's never been beyond a quarterfinal at a slam would be quite unlikely, especially with this diagnosis. And I mean, she hasn't been past the third round of a slam since 2020, kind of despite that success. So um, it does make you think that it probably is the time to step away um but at the same time as you say um very well liked and some of the Kasakina um comments between those two there seem to be the best of mm. friends but they are hilarious when it comes to Kasakina's always <laughs> sharing is a joker isn't she, she i is think a joker. She is, she's, she's always funny. sharing um the shots that she misses or she says <laughs> yes. like who's who holds her back the <laughs> yes, most on a doubles court it's yes. always contivit so I that think is that's um, gonna be that's gonna be one of the things i, I miss the most i hope they that. play doubles together at wimbledon <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Um, I mean, we still have three events uh, before Wimbledon starts. We've got the Eastbourne WTA 500. We've got Bad Homburg, where Iga Svantec is the WTA 250, and Mallorca for the men, which is another 250. I mean, the draws are already out. We've actually already had some action as well. What's what are you? What have you? What are you? Where is where are your eyes drawn to um, with the week? With this week, the last well, week before Wimbledon. There's only one match, Joel. That we can. Be. We're talking about two champions on the tour playing each other in the first round in week. What what's happening in the first mm. round of Eastbourne? So we have Kvitova Ostapenko. I mean, that would be a good final in Eastbourne. I think players we'd love to see them play. But <laughs> round one, if you bought a ticket for Monday or Tuesday, I mean, you're really going to get mm. a fantastic match there. So. Definitely got my eyes on that one. And then I think it is just also seeing, you know, some of the final um, preparations of some of these players who haven't quite had the form yet, you know, seeing the likes of sort of sit to pass, trying to do some fine tuning. I think that would be very interesting. And then I think um, seeing just some of those players who haven't had that that form yet, seeing what happens there. Mm-hmm. But I Iga Sviontek as well. We've, we've, just, we've just not oh, seen Iga, her on the grass. Iga will be playing. She, and she's got Tatiana Maria in the, in the first round. That is not an easy, that is not an easy welcome, is it? To not the grass a natural course. rhythm that you'll get from that one, that's no. for sure. Um, no, that will definitely be a, a super interesting one. And then, I mean, you'd have to think that she chose the event, a smaller 250, because there's more chance to get more matches under her belt before mm. she plays Wimbledon. But no, I think Donna Vekic is looking like she could be the favourite for that one. And then mm. um, there's also Wimbledon qualifiers, Joel, that you'll be looking at. <laughs> I so, know. Yeah, I know, exactly. I'm, I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there tomorrow. I will just say what I thought was quite funny about specifically the Mallorca draw. Chris, I've never seen this before, but that bottom quarter, I'm just going to read it out what it, what it looks like on the draw sheet. You've got Davidovich Fakina as the second seed. Uh, he's got a bye. This is, this is all the players he's got around him. Qualifier or lucky loser, qualifier or lucky loser, qualifier or lucky loser, qualifier or lucky loser, and then a qualifier or lucky loser against Zapata Morales. I've never seen that before. How how bunched uh, qualifiers or lucky losers are on the uh, in the ma- in the main draw of an ATP event. I mean that's unbelievable, really, isn't it? <laughs> and I mean, I mean, give me that draw. Give me yeah. that draw. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're um, uh, Feliciano Lopez, I think you'd much rather. <laughs> 
um, <laughs> face one of those those guys I in know, round one. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Well, um, yeah. We'll see. We'll see how everything, everyone, kind of gets on. Yeah. Final week. Very, very exciting before Wimbledon gets underway. Our next episode is going to be our Wimbledon draw preview episode. I believe that's going to be coming out on Friday when the draw is made. So we're going to be coming out with our predictions. Collect a set in double quick time as well is going to be back so uh yeah really i'm really really looking forward to it it's 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 definitely got that air of unpredictability i think versus the french open where i think there was a lot of chat about you know Iga Svantec and just seeing if she was going to win yeah i think um Joel, you're you're very tactically not available for that podcast for <laughs> the know. predictions episode. So I, I think know. Kim I'm, and I I'm are taking be my doing... holiday. Yeah. I am taking my holiday. So um yeah, I'm gonna be in Belgium. But um yeah, looking forward to that. Um listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come, including Wimbledon, the third Grand Slam of the year. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok and YouTube. And all of those channels, we're at Tennis Weekly Pod. So make sure you follow us. We'll be posting about our Boodles experience behind the scenes and across the two weeks of Wimbledon. You so might get to see what I'm wearing to Boodles as well. We could have a rate rate that outfit. We can <laughs> Ooh, really... rate that outfit. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah, we can um, mix it up. So do <laughs> do fo- do follow us on those channels to see um, who scrubs up well and who doesn't. And um, you can also email the show at tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website, tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back on Friday at Tennis Weekly HQ for our Wimbledon draw preview. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.